I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Is it better to be overtrained or undertrained? Today, we're going to be chatting about tips to avoid both. We all want to show up on race day perfectly trained and ready to crush our races. However, how often do you think that you hit the exact sweet spot of that perfection within a training cycle? Usually, athletes show up to the race either slightly overtrained or slightly undertrained. It is very rare that someone is perfectly peaked and perfectly trained, tapered exactly for that race. The reason for overtraining or undertraining may happen for a number of reasons. Athletes who are very type A personality may have the tendency to overdo things and end up a little bit overtrained at the start line. Whereas athletes who have perhaps more on their plate than they anticipated during a training cycle may end up a little bit more undertrained on race day. It is important to evaluate which one you tend to lean towards because it is actually better to be slightly undertrained than it is to be overtrained on race day. It's kind of like the game 21. You want to come as close to 21 as possible, but if you go over, you lose the game. It is just not worth that extra risk of getting too close to that line and crossing over into overtraining because once you end up over the line, it can be very hard to come back from it. Today I have with me Jason Phillippe who has been running for over 20 years now and he has been coaching for over a decade. He has coached middle school, high school, and college level, and now he works with Run for PRs and adult athletes, mainly training for longer distance events such as the marathon and half marathon. But he also has experience coaching shorter distances such as the 800 and the one mile for those college athletes. I am the founder of Run for PRs. I have been coaching since 2013, and I am a 19-time marathoner, so I definitely have been on both ends of this spectrum personally when it comes to overtraining and undertraining, and I have coached a number of athletes to numerous marathons, first-time Boston qualifiers, and this is a topic that really comes up a lot, especially when you get a new athlete that comes on board. I feel like one of the first things we do is dive into your history and we see kind of what has been your experience with running so far. And as coaches, we typically see, okay, you're either kind of leaning, you're someone who has been leaning in your past towards under training or 
overtraining. And that really gives us kind of an idea of what we need to look for into the future and how we can adjust training and make it so that we can try to just be right on that line of perfectly trained the entire time. And there are just some really common things that people do within their training that I think they don't realize are actually causing you to be overtrained. So we're going to be chatting a little bit about the overtraining um, side of things first. So Jason, what exactly is overtraining? And just talk to me a little bit about your experience coaching overtrained athletes. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, when his, you know, when thinking back with my coaching history, um, most of the time, high school kids, college kids, they're not going to be overtrained. You know, they're younger. They haven't been running for as long. They're a lot more like willing to just, um, you know, do what the coach says because not only are they at practice doing everything everyone else is doing, they're not on their own, which, um, you know, which a lot of times as adult runners, we know we, we tend to sometimes, um, go off course a little bit in terms of what's on our plan. So I think, um, overtraining could look different for everyone, but typically when I think of the term, I think of either running too fast on easy days, um, maybe doing workouts too hard, um, or doing more mileage than we should. Those are kind of the main three things that I think about. Um, and when we're doing some of those things, especially, um, two or more of them, let's say we're doing all three of them. Um, we're definitely leading towards that, that road of burnout. And so, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of, um, physical and mental, um, um, you know, things that are happening, uh, that are going to, you know, burn you out and aren't going to allow your body that full recovery that, that you should be getting. Yeah, that is such a good point. You know, most high high school athletes, I feel like do not really get, um, to that overtraining, but again, it really depends on the coach. And I know some, um, programs around here are a little bit more rigorous, right? So, you know, it just depends on your background and then the program that you're put into. So, you could really be overtraining um, even at the middle school level. It just depends on the athlete's background and then what they are being exposed to in their training. Um, just like even, you know, adult athletes, it's, it's very common um, and people can kind of slip into that mentality. But what's really interesting is that overtraining kind of looks um, different on everyone, right? So just because you have the same 5K PR as someone else or the same marathon PR as someone else doesn't mean that you can train the same way. And one thing that I've heard before, I think, you know, it's a popular quote is there's no such thing as overtraining, just under recovery. And so if we look at it that way, it's really that some people, they have more stress in their life and their bodies need longer time to recover, right? So it's not that you can't do these workouts or, you know, you, you can't run this many miles a week. It's like, well, you know, if you're only sleeping six hours a night or if you're on your feet all day or if your body is just not used to that type of, you know, mileage, um, you're not going to be able to recover as quickly as someone else. And so that's why you really have to think about for every training session you do, you have to be able to properly recover from that training session. So really focusing on the recovery aspect of things. Um, and so how does that really vary from person to person when it comes to recovery? So I think it's really common that, you know, if people are training for like a BQ marathon, um, they think they have to run 50 miles a week or whatever, right? And I think, you know, maybe that's like a common average point for some people. But, uh, you know, if you're not able to recover from that, how does that recovery play in? And how would one know, you know, if they're more of a high mileage athlete versus lower mileage? And how do they know if they're really recovering between, you know, sessions? And how do they establish that? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest um, 
you know, things that adults maybe struggle with is that mileage total, right? They think about the weekly mileage and I'll talk a little bit more about the weekly plan here in a bit, but um, when we're doing too many miles in a week, obviously we're uh, not able to get the quality out of our workouts that we're hoping to get. And, um, you know, your body just doesn't get to really recover. And, um, you know, one way you could tell what the, your mileage sweet spot is, I know Victoria put out the Commit 60 book a while back. It's got a great little inventory in there you can take to determine, um, you know, what should your weekly long run be? What should your totals be for uh, weekly mileage? And we ask questions that that kind of get at your history and your injury and, um, you know, your likelihood of, of being injured in the past and that sort of thing. So um, there's a couple different ways. You could also look at peak mileage during different training blocks. And I think it boils down to what events that you're training for currently. Yeah, definitely. There's so many factors that go into that weekly mileage and the Commit 60 book is a great way to get started with that. Um, We have it for sale on our website. So if you're interested in maybe seeing what your sweet spot mileage is, um, there's a great quiz in there. Um, And then obviously looking at your history, right? So if you're someone who feels like maybe you've been flat before overtraining, um, there's a lot of signals that will happen if you're overtraining. So I am someone that slipped into kind of the overtraining um, well, so you could speak like in 2016. Um, and I think it was like a long time coming. I think what's really tricky about overtraining is that you can get away with it, um, for a decent amount of time, right? So it doesn't really catch up with you right away. So if you go one week overtraining, um, you might just kind of be hitting the same paces for a while. It might be race day happens and you're just a couple seconds per mile slower, or maybe you're exactly the same. Um, And so that's kind of where I got stuck in 2015. A lot of my workouts were almost always hitting the same paces. And then it was like race day would come and I was just a little bit flat. Um, But I thought, you know what, maybe I'm like peaking. You know, I kind of made a lot of excuses. So if you're stuck in an area where you've been running about the same mileage or you've been running even higher mileage than you did the previous season, but you're not seeing any sort of improvements in workouts or Um, races and it's been over six months and it's consistent across the board, like every workout, every race. Um, These might be signs that maybe you need to drop your mileage just a hair or maybe you're racing your workouts, right? So I think I was victim to both. Um, I was increasing my mileage a little bit and I also think um, I was doing my workouts a little bit too fast. So tell us what happens when people race their workouts versus doing them at the correct pace. Um, what? Why is it important to not race your workouts? Yeah, every workout's going to have its purpose, right? So we think about um, you know speed intervals and working on um, shorter you know shorter duration with, with which really is the the point of getting our legs stronger, right? And firing all the muscles that we need to. Um, on a neurological level um, to run fast. And then there's more of like kind of that intermediate like threshold pace, which obviously our body is um, able to run for, you know, anywhere from most of the time, 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Um, Your threshold is really how long you can run for an hour, the pace you can sustain for around an hour. But most of the time in training, we're only going to do it for um, anywhere from five to 30 minute blocks, kind of depending on your level of athlete. And then we have our, just our tempo, which is like our steady state marathon pace. So I think it boils down to the workout that, you know, and what the purpose is that you're trying to get out of it. And that should be obviously tied to kind of the race that you have coming up. Um, but when I think about a workout, I'm thinking of what is a stimulus that we want to, um, get out of that workout. And then we want to teach our body. Um, we want our body to respond to it, right. And cope with it. So if it's, uh, flushing out lactic acid during speed intervals, 
um, and being able to just kind of run the same split for, let's say, I don't know, eight by 400 meters. Um, and then how do we adapt to it after the workout is over? That's really the key. If an athlete can recover in a day or two, that's a good sign that they didn't push the workout too hard. Um, if an athlete is still feeling like heavy legs or they're feeling delayed onset muscle soreness for a couple of days, that's probably a sign that they pushed it too hard. And so all workouts to me, they boil down to the, that kind of stress response adaptation principle and thinking about like the recovery. Yeah, there are just so many red flags to look for. And I think the more you dive into that overtraining well, um, the more obvious the symptoms become, right? So uh, like the first couple of weeks, you might not really notice. And I think the biggest first signal is that you're not really seeing improvements. Um, Also just kind of feeling antsy about workouts, maybe just uh, having that tendency to try to race workouts because you know, like if you actually did it at the prescribed pace or prescribed effort that you wouldn't hit the pace, that's kind of a sign your fitness um, is tanking. And I'm not talking about just like one week, one workout or two weeks here. I'm talking about maybe you've been seeing this happen for about a month. Um, The next sign is maybe you've increased your workload a little bit and you're not seeing any sort of gain or response within, you know, six to 10 weeks. Um, Those could be signs. Uh, but yeah, there are, I think there's certain people that have the tendency to overtrain versus undertrain, right? So as we're talking about this, I'm sure there are some people listening who probably would never, you know, get to that overtraining, um, point. And I think you're one of the people that I know that just are not, you just aren't wired to naturally want to overtrain. Right. Um, and there are athletes out there like myself where it's like, if left to my own, um, you know, without any sort of accountability, I think, I would always almost want to overtrain myself. Um, So what sort of factors personality wise do you think go into like someone who is more on that side of leaning towards overtraining and how could someone recognize that? I mean, you know me pretty well. So what would you say? (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. I think it just boils down to like personality traits and characteristics, right? And then, you, you know, you're a product of your running background. And so for me, you know, I've been running my whole life and I've had my fair share of injuries and I think I just learned not to like push the envelope too much. Um, and I've probably gotten by a little bit uh, with having pretty successful races off of being slightly undertrained. Like I'll show up and I'll have this, this goal or this expectation and if I exceed it, um, you know, that, that teaches me like, oh, hey, that's, that's the way I should do it. I shouldn't be pushing the envelope and constantly be running myself into the ground. And I kind of made that mistake the year or two coming out of college. I, I was still trying to hammer workouts at the same pace as I was hitting while I was in college. And that was just kind of leading to um, less than subpar race p- performances for me. But, um, you know, someone like you, I'd say you're very, you know, strong willed when it comes to just wanting to do more and running is a outlet for a lot of people. And sometimes they, they really want to do more for, um, you know, just so that they can see if they want to challenge themselves in certain ways. So it might be um, running, you know, averaging a certain pace for a run or hitting this many miles. And so I think being really wrapped up in like the data and like the the mileage and the numbers and the paces and all that, that's probably a sign that you might be someone who is more likely to push the envelope in terms of your training. Um, I don't know. What do you think are some other key characteristics, um, you know, that, that could lead to that? 
Yeah, definitely. I think people do run streaks for a variety of different reasons, but you know, if you're someone out there who's done like a run streak and it's, it's lasted for longer than a year, I would just pretty much say you're in the category of someone that would end up overtraining. Um, I'm someone who has done a couple of run streaks here and there. Um, my longest one being 550 days. And really, um, it, it's just that addictiveness personality where you, you find the need to do something almost like habitually, even if logically, you know, you want to rest day or need to rest day. Um, I think it's more of like those people who really get habitual about things. That's when it becomes, all right, are you doing this out of habit? Or are you doing it because it's going to make sense? And for me and some of the people that I know who overtrain, um, in my circle of, you know, runners, it, it's almost like they know they're overtraining, but something about the data, something about, oh, I got to hit X for my weekly mileage or, you know, I got to hit Y for this uh, month of miles. That's really where people, I think, end up hurting themselves. And I think it's really fun following um, one of the runners here in Minnesota, Ben Johnson. He is kind of a big on Instagram account, but he'll always stop his watch at like 7.99 miles or like 9.98 miles. And it's just maybe to show the running community that, hey, you don't always have to round out. You don't always have to go that extra mile. And even today I did um, like this eight, it was only supposed to be an eight mile workout. When I got to our house, I was at 8.45. And I just like those nervous ticks where you're like, oh, I have to go the extra half mile just because like you want it to be nine, you want it to be a round number. Um, I think those sort of mentalities, while they seem innocent in nature, if you're doing them every single day, day in and day out, um, it can add up and your body really doesn't know the difference. But over time, if it's just a little bit of extra stress and you're not doing anything additional to recover from that extra stress, it just becomes um an added thing that your body needs to recover from and it's not a benefit to your training, right? Like my body isn't going to uh, be a better athlete because I went an extra 0.55 today at a, a super slow jog pace just to round out to nine, right? So I think there are these tendencies within the sport of running that people just really need to be careful about that mindset. Um, and I am someone that really gets wrapped up in the data and it's something that I'm trying to every day, just like turn it off a little bit. Right. Um, and there are just a lot of other runners out there, I think who are like me and it's definitely important to kind of know yourself and be aware that, you know, you maybe have the tendency to want to overdo things. And that's why I always, when I'm, you know, I'm coming back postpartum right now. And that's why I reach out to like a coach right away when I'm like back in shape, I'm like, okay, I need someone to hold me accountable. Otherwise, I know what I'm going to do, right? Like I just know myself and I need someone to kind of keep me in line and call me out. And it's not always comfortable to be called out, but it's it's for the best, right? If you really want to get the most out of your running, I think it's really important to have someone there to hold you accountable. And while I could hold myself accountable, I just get way too caught up. Like when I'm on a run, you know, when the endorphins are running high, um, it's really easy to override your logical side of the brain because you're like, you're high. You're like having a runner's high, right? Um, and that's why it's really important to think, oh crap, Ben's going to see this run, right? And I'm going to get in trouble. So I better uh, reel it in. Whereas like, if it's just yourself, you're like, whatever, you feel good, you know? And it's, it's just not logical. So tell me a little bit about the opposite, right? So we've talked about the overtrainer, the person who has that type A personality, who's obsessed with data, 
um, who always is trying to push the envelope. And I also think there are people out there that just have that like hustle mentality where they have a really hard time shutting off. So I guess this is another point to look at. Um, do you think that, you know, me or people that you know who have the tendency to overtrain, cause you know, a lot of runners, do you think that they also have a hard time like relaxing and just like shutting off in general? Um, I would say, I mean, a lot of them, yes. A lot of the ones that I know in our running circle that tend, you know, tend to run a lot, I would agree. Yes. I know, I know some people though, who seem like a lot more chill and they're just, but I feel like they have their outlet of like things that they're going to focus on. So maybe they're going to really be into their work or really into some sort of hobby. Um, you know, you brought up a lot of great points and to add to some of those, I think that it boils down to like what you said, the habitual like tendencies of, of a runner. And, you know, it kind of starts with doing that extra mile here and there. And then it becomes over time, like doing, um, you know, an extra three miles on your easy day, your recovery day. And then that becomes running six days a week and not taking the rest day. And then all of a sudden it becomes running seven days a week and not doing the rest days. And, um, you know, obviously every athlete's different in their journey and their path and how they progress year after year. Some athletes too, it could be, they, um, they come out of a long break and then they just kind of, they get going way too quick and they build up too fast and they don't want to rest. Um, and I think one of the biggest problems in our, just in this whole like world of training is the t- the tendency and the need to run on a seven day schedule. I think when we do that, we try to cram everything in there. We try to cram a long run in one, one uh, or two workouts a lot of times. And so we're just not allowing ourselves that time to recover in between. And a lot of us need that extra time. Um, even if you feel like you don't, I think your body could benefit from that and it would help you Um, get more out of your workouts and keep you just running at a higher level for longer. So you're less likely to tip over that, that uh, line of, of being overtrained. Um, So I think if we can look at a schedule or a training plan and break it down and maybe more of like a, even a 10 day or a 14 week cycle, that gives you more room in there to be flexible with like your recovery or like when to do your next workout. And we don't always need to run long every single weekend. Um, You know, I've, I've tried to kind of pass that over to some of my athletes, you know, where we'll do a lot of like cutback weeks or they might do like a 10 and then like a six and then a, a nine the next week or something like that. So that it just gives them that, that variety. And also the, it's more of a mental thing too, right. To, to know like, Oh, I don't always have to be running uh, super long every single weekend. Right. And with that long run comes in a really good point. Um, the whole concept of a long run is so different from person to person. And I think sometimes when we look at elites or, you know, people who are very fast, I look sometimes at like your runs or, you know, some of your friends runs who are very fast, you know, like two twenty marathoners. And it seems like almost every day they're doing 10 miles. Right. And I'm like, geez, how can they get away with doing 10 miles every single day? But really, if you're looking at the time that they're spending running, it's about, you know, 65 minutes, you know, if they're doing like a six thirty pace or, or 70 minutes, if they're doing, you know, about a seven minute pace. And that that's about the pace range that a lot of these super elites, you know, I'm talking like sub 15 minute five cares, um, are doing on Strava. And I'm just like, geez, like every day you're doing 10. Um, but really, you really need to look at the time that they're spending running, right? So they're only running for 65, 70 minutes. Um, whereas if you're someone who's running, uh, you know, 10-minute pace for your runs, you're looking at about six, six and a half, seven miles. Um, and you also have to factor in that they're probably training at, you know, a higher level. You don't really necessarily need to go as far. So even if you shave off, you know, that 10 minutes – 
it's about a five mile run, right? So it's about the same effort. So you really, you can't be comparing um, mileage, I think across sections like that. Um, And then also looking at, you know, those more elite runners, it takes some, you know, 90 minutes to do a 13 mile long run. And that looks, or, or for like a 20 mile long run, they're doing it in well under two hours and 30 minutes. Right. So I think a lot of athletes will look at those trainings and be like, Whoa, they're doing a 20 mile long run every single weekend or most weekends out of the month. Um, and these are people, you know, qualifying for the Olympic trials and stuff, but it's like a 20 mile long run for them takes less than two and a half hours. So you need to look at your own paces and say, you know, how far do I cover going my easy pace in two to two and a half hours? Um, you can't just assume, cause you know, if you're going 10 minute pace, that's only what, like 15 miles for a long run. Um, so you really have to keep those things in mind when you're trying to compare. And obviously, you know, comparing isn't always good, but I know that runners have the tendency to do that. Um, And then just understanding when you look at like a training plan online um, and if it's mileage based, you have to really take it with a grain of salt because miles look different for everyone. Um, You know, if you're someone who is running 10 minute pace for the majority of your runs and you're running 40 miles a week, that's going to look very different than someone who runs eight minute pace for the majority of their runs and runs 40 miles per week. Um, It's all about the time that you're spending running. And I think we need to make the shift more towards that if you're going to play any sort of comparison games. Um, And another thing that I used to kind of say and still sometimes have the tendency to say is like, oh, I can get away with this. I can get away with training like this because you know, maybe I, I'm not injured or, you know, like I'm still running pretty fast and you get caught up in like these excuse games, like, oh, the, the rules don't apply to me. Or if you've ever caught yourself with that mindset or with those thought processes, uh, that's usually a sign that you're not doing as beneficial of training as you could be. Um, so just because you can quote unquote, get away with something doesn't necessarily mean that it's benefiting you. Right. So I could maybe get away with running 70 miles a week, but is is that the optimal mileage range for me to be training in to see improvements and to reach my potential? Um, the answer would probably be no, because I've gone down that road before and I know what happens. Um, I can maintain my fitness a little bit, see slight decreases, but I'm not improving. And I think sometimes that's where you see people kind of hit that stagnation, hit a plateau, Or they start saying things like, oh, I peaked or those sort of um, comments. Uh, So do you think it's hard for people who have been overtrained or have been kind of on that edge of doing just a little bit more than they should have to cut back the mileage? Like, how do you convince someone who is on the overtraining um, path to, oh, do less, you know, this will be the optimal way? Because the logic for most people is I need to work harder to see more results, but there becomes a point where that's not true. And how do you like unlock that key um, for some of your athletes? Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. I know, um, you know, I've worked with some adults and I've seen other adults from far kind of go through this. And the hard part is just, uh, you know, are they open and willing to to try something different? Because um, that's what it boils down to. Like if, you know, helping them kind of understand, like if we continue down this path, we may just continue down this path of stagnation and you may not get the results you want. And so it's worthwhile to kind of take a step back, reflect, make some changes. I know I just had a few, few athletes recently where we completely shifted to more of time-based running. Um, 
you know, and I think that's maybe helped them realize that they don't need to run as much and they're going to hopefully be a little bit more fresher for workouts and stuff like that. And, um, you know, a lot of this goes down to like, obviously the physical, um, you know, it's going to free up some of the physical energy, um, but also like the mental energy. And hopefully they're not going to feel as drained going into these workouts. And a lot of times, um, you know, maybe just adjusting the workouts, maybe making it a bit easier as far as like less repetitions or slightly slower pace than you would have um, done like during your your main training cycle, that could be a good way to um, just give yourself that break and then start to generate a little momentum for more of like a positive um, launch into um, like a slower build again. So I think, you know, it's it's sort of like a roller coaster. Like at some point we want to kind of start to come down and then slowly build our way back up. We don't want to always just kind of be up at the top because it's not fun, right? So we got to add in those variations to our training. Yeah, definitely. As Ben Jacobs, our head coach here always says, you can't peak forever, right? Um, you know, if you're climbing up a mountain, eventually you have to, you have to come back down. Um, and just staying up there at the top, you could hang out for a while, but in order to reach that next peak and that next, um, peak in your fitness, you have to come down from that mountain. Um, and that's really, you know, how polarized training works. You know, you all have to have that recovery period in between training cycles and in between each hard workout. It's really like the yin and the yang. You have to balance it out. Um, and I know the, the growth formula is stress plus rest equals growth. And so you really have to counterbalance, um, every time you're asking of your body to do hard work work with that recovery in between. So it's, it's good to know that it can be a challenge, right? So when you hear stuff like maybe doing a little bit less mileage or don't race your workouts, um, these are things that a lot of people struggle with, right? And when you're sitting there and you're frustrated enough with yourself and with your training where you haven't been improving for a very long time, um, I think it just kind of reaches a breaking point where you're willing to try something new and different because what you've been doing hasn't been working. And so when you are kind of like at that breaking point, that's when I would say, you know, it's, it's time to kind of make a change and maybe doing a little bit less mileage, um, focusing more on quality versus uh, quantity. Um, but then diving into the opposite side of the equation, right? So we talked a little bit about why overtraining isn't great. It's because your body can't recover. Um, you're not really reaching your potential. And then obviously you can just go down like a spiral of injuries, burnout. And sometimes those things can take a really long time to recover from. Um, and I know sometimes... Uh, the reason that they say some high school athletes should like avoid doing the marathon and stepping up in distance too quickly is because they can kind of hit that road of overtraining and maybe they, they, uh, lose the love for the sport and stuff like that. And I know I've seen college athletes who were in college, they were top of their game, really great runners, um, went to nationals, all those things. And the second they graduate and the second they're done um, competing, they never run again. And it's because they were pushed really, really hard. And, and I think they kind of maybe lost their love and their joy for the sport. And maybe there's a little bit of burnout, um, component to that as well, because when you're pushed really hard for a really long time, um, it can, it can lead to a burnout situation. So it's really important to kind of avoid those things. And it's better to, um, have like a slower growth path. I think if you want to be a lifelong runner and I know college athletes, you know, they're there for that period of time. And sometimes that's really all they care about, right? They, they want to get all they can out of those four years. And so it's a little bit of a different situation, but most adult athletes, if I would talk to them and ask them like what their goals are, I think for the most part, they want to be running for a a long time, as long as they can. Um, they don't want to get injured. They don't want to like end their running career in three years from now. So I think the best way to, um, 
work towards that is the gradual progression and the gradual growth. So avoiding burnout, avoiding overtraining, all of those things. Um, but then the opposite end of the spectrum, obviously, is that under training, right? So no one wants to show up on race day being under trained, right? So you have to do a certain amount of training in order to show up to a marathon and be able to finish the thing, right? And that's why, you know, there are run coaches. That's why there's training plans out there. Everyone is looking to get in shape, get to the correct level of fitness and all those things. Um, but along the way, obviously there's obstacles and there's roadblocks and, it can be difficult to balance training with your career, family, all that stuff. So what is an example of under training and how can you spot this easily in athletes? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's a lot of various degrees to under training. You know, I've, when I think about that, you know, showing up to a marathon, for example, the easiest answer is just like not doing the long runs and not being ready for the distance. I think that that's what it boils down to. You don't need to do a lot of fancy workouts and stuff. Um, to, to complete a marathon, you know, especially if your goal is just to kind of finish at, you know, a minimal effort or whatever. So I think just putting, just getting time on your feet, that's the most important thing for that distance. Um, you know, you could show up to a 5k and be really well trained, uh, really, um, you know, you could be underprepared in terms of like the pace, but as long as you've been running like a, like a decent amount of miles, you're going to finish. You just may not quite hit the time that you want because you're not used to really like pushing it to that effort, uh, that, you know, percentage of max effort that you are exerting on race day. So I think there's really a lot of variations to it. Um, you know, thinking, speaking of my own personal experience, I know I've showed up to a half marathon before, you know, definitely feeling under train, not thinking I was in as good a shape as I, uh, ran that day. And I ended up running a PR just by a few seconds, but I really had to hammer down the last 5k. And I think the reason I felt so good was just because, I did enough miles, but I didn't do enough workouts. And so that was an example of like being, yeah, my legs could handle the, the mileage and getting a mile 10 and still feeling decent enough. And it was just like the slowest sort of like progression, probably like the best sort of progression I could have done to allow my body and all my muscles to kind of get warmed up to a point where they could, they could, uh, you know, they could process the, you know, the byproducts from running faster throughout the run and, and still allow me to kind of keep picking up the pace. And so I think there's an example there. I think it's better to be, um, if we're talking distance races, it's better coming under train in terms of like workouts and it is mileage. And then if we're talking shorter distance races, like the mile or the 5k, it's probably better to come in under train, um, on the mileage side of things and come in with more of like a, some sort of base in terms of like doing the workouts. Um, so kind of looking at like the percentage of effort that you're exerting out there. And obviously the higher the, or the longer the distance, the lower percentage of effort. Yeah. Thinking about your half marathon PR, um, it's really interesting because you actually ran Boston two months before you attempted that. And so you were in really good marathon shape. You ran 249 at Boston, um, which is pretty fast for that course. I mean, probably one of your, your best marathon efforts when it comes to course versus time that you ran. Um, and then, you know, you have to have that two weeks. So you had two weeks off and then it's like, you got back into training, you had six weeks till the half. And so that's when you say you went in under train, it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, you really didn't, um, have a solid training cycle build up to that. It was more just a recovery from a marathon and then trying to maintain and hold like whatever fitness you had for your marathon, um, into the half. And I think, 
some people maybe could get away with that and run a PR and run well, but for really highly trained athletes who have been running for a really long time, it's really hard to get into that peak fitness and peak shape. So um, it really depends on the athlete, you know, under training for a marathon for someone who's like a 240 marathoner might be running 40 miles a week. But for someone who is newer to the sport, training for their first marathon, 40 miles per week could be overtraining, right? So it's really just variant on the athlete. And so uh, most people kind of know if they're going into a race overtrain or undertrain, I should say. Um, a lot of the times they'll be just be skipped days or maybe it was really busy at work and you chose like not to run and maybe more focusing on work or family things that happen. And I know uh, when... When my first son was born, I trained for Boston and I ran that um, at like five and a half months after he was born. And obviously going into that race, I knew I was a little bit under trained, right? I, I didn't get to have the training cycle that I hoped. I wasn't in the peak fitness shape. I was still getting back into shape and stuff like that. Um, so I, I kind of knew going into the race, I was going to be under trained. Um, but where things kind of get dicey is where you go into a race under trained, but you're hoping for, you know, some knockout, amazing performance. And I think that's where people need to maybe just be honest with themselves and realistic. And I think that's the best thing that I did at the starting line of Boston 2018. I was like, okay, you're not in shape to run anywhere near the times that you normally run. Um, and then just seeing the weather and everything, I'm like, it's just not worth it. Just go out there and run it, go off of effort. Um, and I ended up being like a minute per mile slower than my PR, but I was still able to execute negative splits. And I think if you're able to go into a race, really understanding where your fitness is and being honest with yourself, it's better to adjust your pacing, adjust your goals um, than it is to, you know, go, go all out, right? So how do you adjust goals based on um, an athlete who is, you know, maybe a little bit undertrained. Can you still finish the race if you're undertrained? Does it depend? Um, and have you ever worked with someone that just had a lot going on, wasn't able to complete the training, or they were only able to run, you know, two, three days a week? What sort of advice do you give to people who are just in that sort of season where they aren't able to commit to the training, but they still want to do yeah. the race? Yeah, it's a good point. I think we have to think about like just that block of training. We're not always comparing it to the previous, um, you know, times of their life or um, for some people, if their PR might be from five to 10 years ago, whatever. We're, we're just looking at kind of making that progress over time. And so we want to head in the right direction. I think um, from when the training started, however long it was, you know, the goal is obviously to make some progress. And so looking at like their workouts are kind of the best indicator, especially since we didn't have a ton of races. Uh, recently. So looking at the workouts, um, trying to figure out like, um, you know, how the, how consistent they were with holding certain paces and then just helping them set a realistic goal based on where they're at now. And I think that that really is the key. Um, and always, always just thinking about like, um, where can they go from there? So, you know, if the goal is they want to run a BQ and they want to run 330, uh, and their PR is like 352, and yeah, they may be in great shape, um, but because they haven't got to race recently, um, we're not quite sure like the jump that they're going to make. So let's let's kind of create a more of a conservative goal of maybe like a three forty or even three forty four somewhere in there, and then we can kind of kind of reassess there and continue building. Um, and obviously, it's going to look so different for every individual. It depends on kind of where they're at with their running. 
Definitely. And I think there's different levels of being undertrained, right? There's someone that's just completely undertrained, like didn't do any work. And then there's someone who did, you know, most of the training. And then there's someone that, you know, is maybe coming back from an injury or having a child. And that that's a different type of undertrained, I think. When you're when you're coming back and you just haven't had, you know, long enough, like everything you're doing is right, but you're not quite at where you used to be, that sort of um like quote unquote undertrained. Um, and I always think it's better to err on the side of caution, right? So I would rather be slightly, just very, very slightly undertrained, so like right on the line, than I would be to be overtrained. Because usually if you're going into the race slightly undertrained, you kind of know that you're a little bit undertrained. You don't feel like you've you know, maxed out, right, on any of your workouts or any of the mileage, um, you don't have as big of an ego, I don't think. But when I go into a race overtrained, I feel like, I don't know, I just have really high expectations because maybe I was running really hard workouts and racing my workouts and maybe I left part of my race in a workout. And I think when you head down that path of overtraining, not only is your body under more stress when you're at the starting line because you haven't had adequate time to recover from like the intense training cycle that you had because you were overtraining, but also I think a lot of people who are at the start line overtrained, they think that they're in really good shape and the ego is typically a little bit higher in those people because they have put in a lot of work, but their body just is hadn't had a chance to really adapt and recover from all of the workouts that they did. So they just have that like accumulative fatigue still hanging out. Um, but if you're undertrained, you you feel pretty good, right? But the ego isn't 100% there. So Jason, would you say that's true? And how does being overtrained versus undertrained at the start line of a race typically impact how you feel on race day? Yeah, it's really going to depend on like your your past with racing, your experiences racing, um, how different your training was, I guess, from race to race um, and from year to year. I know some athletes, you know, they can show up to a race under train and and as long as they're typically like a, a confident runner and they're pretty mentally tough, I think they're going to they're going to perform pretty well um, because they kind of thrive off just like pushing it for a change like it's new to them. So um, but if you're an athlete that's under training, you show up and you're, you're not very confident and you're not, you know, what we would consider like a mentally tough runner, just because you haven't, you're not that experienced with like racing, um, or you don't, you don't really enjoy like pushing yourself in workouts. Um, this, this type of individual might struggle more with, with performing, you know, at, at a certain level. Um, if they're under I guess in terms of overtrained athletes, again, yeah, it boils down to like just kind of what is the reason for your drive? Like, is it because you, you like to work hard and you like to spend time in the pain cave? You're probably going to do okay. If you're someone that just likes to train hard because you are really obsessive about the, the numbers and just the data and you're very, it's very habitual and you just, you, um, are afraid to just do less. Um, you know, depending on like how mentally tough you are, you may have a tougher day out there and it may not be, uh, it may not align with the expectation that you set for yourself that day. So again, I feel like there's kind of four quadrants and it really depends on kind of where you fall. Definitely. I think that's a really good answer. And a lot of it is kind of the mentality and how you feel about yourself. And 
I think a lot of training is mental. And so whatever you need to do to feel good at the start line um, is, is pretty much where you should be at, right? But I think there are ways that you can combat that mental side of things, right? Because we never want to be standing at the start line completely overtrained because um, you're just not going to have as good of a performance, right? Um, you want to go into it confident. You want to feel like you have the best um, foundation under you that you can to perform. And so that's why it's really important to have a solid training cycle specific to you under your belt when you head into race day. Um, and obviously, you know, when we say, oh, overtrained or undertrained, is it better? <laughs> Which one is it better to be? It, you don't really want to be either. You really just want to be properly trained. You want to have peaked for that race. You want to have a perfect taper. You want everything to be, you know, pretty solid. And they're really, you know, if we had to pick one, I would say it's probably better to be a little bit slightly undertrained because then maybe you're not as, you know, the ego isn't as big going into the race. And you can continue to build on that fitness level. Whereas if you dip into that overtraining well, sometimes it can take a while for athletes to overcome that. And it, it maybe will take extra time off rest and recovery. And our biggest thing is we want athletes to be able to be consistent. And if you overtrain yourself so much that you need, you know, a significant time off from running, uh, that's never a good thing um, when it comes to being in the sport long term and and being able to rebound after your goal race. So again, it's really important to have training that's specific to you as an athlete. And at Run for PRs, that's that's really what we focus on. And we want to look at your background as an athlete, see where you're coming from, what sort of things have held you back in the past, and just building you up into the perfect athlete that you can become and really reaching your potential. Um, too often, we have athletes come to us that have been overtrained or injured um, or just frustrated with being stagnant for several years in a row, and we're able to just really look at what they have been doing and kind of address, okay, these are the things that we think we can adjust moving into the future, and we can break through that plateau, and we can have you come back from an injury and be healthy. Our biggest thing is all about consistency. We want you to be the best that you can be um, in a consistent manner, right? I think most athletes who are runners, they want to just be consistent. They want running to be a consistent thing in their life and something they're able to measure progress against. And that's really where we come in is helping with that consistency, helping people really reach that next level with their running. So if that's something that's interesting to you or you feel like you know, you've been struggling a little bit with some of these factors, we'd be happy to take a look at your past training set up a phone consultation and get you connected with a coach. We always do a free seven day trial. So you can see what the workouts would be like. You can get to know your coach a little bit, answer any questions that you may have. Um, totally no commitment there. So just a one week trial. If you're interested, you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.co and we would get you connected with a coach who is specializing in your background. We have several coaches here, so we like to pair them up with people we think would be a good fit. Um, So yeah, we can't wait to hear from you. And again, that's www.runforprs.co. Fill out the form for your free seven-day trial. Thanks for tuning in.